listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to the book of Acts in your own Bible if you have a Bible or that we provide Bibles on, on the tables. You could turn to Acts chapter 26. This is Paul retelling the story of his own conversion when he came to believe that Jesus was Lord and put his uh, trust into him. He retells this story. In fact, he retells it twice and it's told once in the book of Acts. You hear Paul's testimony quite a few times, but here it is. Paul's recounting it and he says, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? Paul had just seen a a great light, heard a voice, and then the voice says this, The voice says to Paul, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Verse 17, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for, for being here, for being alive inside of us. God, we pray that as we study the book of Acts and the the stories of evangelism and and people's testimonies and missionary journeys, that God, you would speak to us. You would encourage us with our own testimony. You would encourage us to to hear your voice and to to be drawn to to teach others, to tell others about who you are in our lives. But God, we we bless your name. We praise you. We thank you for the Mill Sunday School and this opportunity that we have to learn about you. And everybody screamed! Amen. Um, yeah, so back in the day, has anybody ever been a part of like street evangelism, either given out uh, t- tracks or flyers or talk to people? I have as well. Um, my, I used to go to a church in Utah that was really big on that, and it was a Baptist church. And to give Baptists all awesome credit that they should have, um, the Baptist church that I went to, the Baptist church that uh, I've been to a few, actually, the ones I'm familiar with, um, are all really good at uh, outreaches, uh, soul winning. They sometimes call. Has anybody ever heard it called? Heard it called soul winning? Anybody? Yeah, that's, that's maybe a southern term. But you go out and you tell people about Jesus, which sometimes involves uh, street evangelism. And my church back then, when I lived in Utah, which is my college years, was really big into that. And um, I I was always really nervous about doing it and didn't really like doing it. But my church uh, liked it, and and we would do things where we would go to, um, every year, for instance, one of our trips was to Manti, Utah. So if you could see on the map here, there's a star, like it looks like almost directly in the middle of the state. And that's where this little town of Manti is. Has anybody ever heard of it? It's a really small, maybe even you would say a podunk Utah town uh, in the middle of nowhere. You have to pass towns like Moroni and Nephi to get to Manti. Um, Very Mormon names coming from the Book of Mormon for town. And so in Manti, this, this kind of uh, what could be called, I don't, if anybody's from Manti, I don't want to offend you, but um, <laughs> you're probably not since it's so small. So this little, in this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere, there's this awesome, grandiose uh, Mormon temple. It looks something like this. It's this big, beautiful building, which kind of sits in the middle of nowhere because the town is tiny. And, um, but every year, uh, two weekends in a row, uh, I believe in a row, um, the, the Mormon miracle pageant happens in Manti, Utah, and thousands upon thousands and thousands of people, uh, Mormons from the state of Utah, come um, to watch the Mormon 
uh, miracle pageant, which happens uh, two uh, weeks uh, in the summer. And so they come, and it's free. You just have to wait in line to, to get a good seat. And so uh, people will kind of make a day out of it, make a picnic out of it. They'll, uh, Mormons will come to see the pageant. They'll, they'll wait outside all day long. And uh, they'll, they'll line up. And so it's just this time of waiting around. And so we, as a church, would plan a, a, an evangelistic crusade. I don't even know what we called it. I, I forget. Um, just a time where we would go down to Manti and meet Mormons in a very non-aggressive way. We wouldn't hold big signs that says you're going to hell, or we wouldn't um, just scream about how everybody's going to hell. We would just go and try to make conversations with Mormons who were there, who were there waiting with nothing to do, like all afternoon, all evening, because the play started at night, and tell them about Jesus. And so if, if you know anything about Mormonism, um, you, you probably know that there's some differences between evangelical Protestant Christianity and Mormonism. We, we've gone over um, that before in the Mill Sunday School. Uh, there was um, uh, a couple months ago, we did a whole series on uh, the, the groups like the Mormons. And um, I think it's important to know the differences. Um, we might be hearing about it more in the news because uh, this guy uh, is, I think it, you probably recognize him from the news and such. His name is Mitt Romney. He's running for the uh, Republican candidacy for the president of the United States in 2012, and he is a governor of Massachusetts, and he's a Mormon. And so last time he ran, uh, and I think it was in 08, or before 08, for the election of 08, um, we heard a lot about Mormonism, are Mormons Christians, and so on and so forth. Um, but I, I say that just to, to talk about what Mormons believe. This is a picture of Jesus and their cosmology of of who Jesus is um, is probably different than who we believe Jesus is. For instance, they don't believe Jesus is God. Their salvation, uh, their soteriology is different than ours. They would say there's no sal- They would say there's no salvation outside the Mormon Church. You have to be a member, etc. Celestial marriage to be actually saved to go to the highest kingdom of heaven and be truly saved. Whereas we would say no, by, by Jesus alone, who is God, and by grace you are saved. Then their theology is very different. They believe that God was once a human like you are who lived on a, a planet, Kolob, um, and then became a god and who, who, who is our God now where, where we would say, whoa, that's different. You know, our God had no beginning. Our God is, you know, has no end. He is awesome. He is uh, totally all-powerful. There's no one like him, etc. So anyways, those are some of the differences in theology that make a big difference between evangelical Protestant Christians and Mormons. And so we were there um, to, to, to talk to Mormons about uh, salvation by Jesus Christ and to witness to them, to do some soul winning, if that's a term you've heard before. And so we were out there, not with signs. I don't even know if we brought tracks or not, but uh, we were just there to make conversations. And I just, I just wasn't very good at it. I'm not very quick on my feet, like I'm talking to you now in the middle of Sunday school, but I've, I've had hours of preparation for this talk. I'm, I'm actually, I, I don't think I'm that good on my feet at like debate, and I don't really like when people get like debatey and get kind of mean and mad. I don't know, some of you may love that kind of atmosphere and love debating, and um, but I, I just don't like it. I shrink back from it. And so that's kind of what was going on. These conversations of people from my church and these Mormons who are waiting to go to the Mormon miracle pageant, uh, it would get very debatey very quick. Like, oh, you guys believe this. No, the Bible says this. And, oh, well, what about this verse? And what about that? And going back and forth, and I just kind of felt like I, I didn't know very what to say. I, w- I wasn't quick on my feet like some of my friends were that had more experience than me. And so I kind of hung back, hung back and sat down on this bench uh, on the sidewalk. And um, I was sitting there and this kid came up 
um, who had, was on a BMX bike. He was like doing little tricks and impressing girls. He was like a high schooler. And he, he sat down next to me to, to rest um, from his tricks impressing girls. And I was like, sup, man? And he was like, sup? And, and he was like, what's, what's going on here? Why is there people debating on the street? And it was my group of friends against this other Mormon group of friends. And they were like going back and forth and kind of getting loud. And I was like, dude, they're just talking about Jesus and Mormonism and stuff. And, he was, and I was like, well, you know, are, are you into that? You know, do you, what do you believe? And we got into this conversation, which turned out to be really cool, because here I was hanging back, because I didn't feel like I was very good at witnessing or uh, being an evangelist. And me and this guy started talking, and he said, yeah, I used to be a Mormon. I got kicked out of the Mormon church because he, he had slept with his girlfriend, and I think he had, it was smoking and maybe drinking, and it was all three big no-nos in the Mormon church, um, really big no-nos, so much so that they uh, excommunicated him out of the church. And to be excommunicated as a Mormon is a very big deal. That's, you know, you're just not just kicked out of the church, but since there's no salvation in, outside of the church, you're, you're like doomed to hell now. And so this kid was just like, dang it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm sorry, bro. Um, and, he, and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I repented of those things. I don't even, you know, the, I don't even... I have a girlfriend now. I don't smoke or drink. I'm just so sorry, but I can't get back into the church. And so in this moment, I was like, well, this kid, maybe I'll tell him about Jesus and how um, repentance works and how if you're repentant before the Father, then, then you do have salvation and, and you're saved by grace, not by being a member of, of a church. And so we started talking and going back and forth. And, and on that day, like he was like, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I believe that. I believe the Bible says that. And I got to pray with him. And I, I guess in formal terms, he accepted the Lord. Um, and it was just this really cool thing because um, that whole weekend, you know, my friends that were debating and arguing all these Mormons, they didn't have any cool testimonies of, yeah, we led somebody to the Lord, but here I was, like, thinking I couldn't do it, and, and yet I was the only one who had the story, you know, to tell, but um, for whatever that's worth. And so we're going to think about, you know, our testimony and becoming a Christian and evangelism and, and witnessing today, because today is uh, the last Sunday of this month. We're going to continue our talk, conclude our talk on the book of Acts, which, which actually goes back. We, we talked about it another month, and we've been talking about it all this month. And today we're going to look at Paul's life, which has a lot to do with missionary journeys and soul winning and going out and telling people about Jesus and retelling his testimony. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today in the Mill Sunday School. Sound fun? Yeah. Me too. It, it sounds really... I was, I've had fun this week researching it, and so... Uh, hopefully I'll have fun talking about it. You'll have fun listening to it, um, and we'll learn something. And so uh, before we get started, just a quick announcement. If you're newish uh, or if you're brand new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. We don't make you stand or introduce yourself or embarrass you. Um, uh, maybe we should. I don't know, but we don't right now. And so all we do is uh, we have cards on the table. You could fill one of those out and bring it to me or bring it to the nice people in the back. They'll actually give you a CD uh, of some worship music that we recorded at the Mill a little while ago. And um, so that's a gift to you, a, a CD of some worship music from our Friday nights, which is our main meeting if you're a college or 20-something, or some churches call it a college and career group. Um, th- th- we call it The Mill, which doesn't stand for anything or mean anything, um, but that's The Mill. It always has been. Um, and so uh, so that's on Friday nights at 7, and Sunday school is kind of a small group of that, although it's not that small. So... Um, yeah, uh, next week we will start our a new topic uh, for the month of July. It, it's, we're going to call it a Biblical Narrative. We're going to talk about the big picture of the whole Bible. And next week we have our very own Glenn Packiam coming to, to teach us about the context of Scripture. So um, 
that'll be fun. Um, he's an awesome speaker and has, has this message that I've heard before where he goes through um, the whole, in fact, he's speaking next week and the week after this big picture of the story of the Bible that was just fascinating. I was writing down notes like crazy uh, as this big picture of the Bible unfolded. He has like a 11 set act thing that, that he um, learned from uh, the scholar named N.T. Wright and he reteaches it and it's awesome. So uh, that's next week though. So uh, those are your announcements. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about Paul. Let's talk about the testimony of uh, Apostle Paul. And he has an amazing testimony. And if you don't know who Paul is, by the way, I guess we should introduce him. He is a pretty big deal. He wrote uh, quite a bit of the New Testament. In fact, he wrote 13 out of the 27 books that now make up our New Testament. And that doesn't include the book of Hebrews, because there's a lot of debate as to whether Paul wrote that or not. But if it is included, then he would have wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament, which is more than 30% of the text of Scripture that we have that we call the New Testament. Uh, Pretty big deal. So, um, yeah, here's a picture of Paul. Uh, Obviously, an artist rendition. I think this is a painting of, uh, I think it's by Caravaggio in the Baroque era. I I used to take uh, Baroque art history, really random. My teacher would always say, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. (laughs) Anyway, and I'd I'd laugh every time. It's just hilarious. Anyways, uh, here's another painting in the Baroque era. Uh, This is a Rembrandt painting of the stoning of St. Stephen. And the stoning of St. Stephen is a really big deal in the book of Acts. You could read about it in Acts chapter 7. He's kind of known as the first Christian martyr. And uh, St. Stephen, or just Stephen, or the Apostle Stephen, was stoned by the Jews because he was a Christian and gave testimony about Christ. And so here's a painting of him being stoned. And at the very end of this passage, as he's being stoned, there's this like cameo appearance uh, by Saul, who will, his name changes to Paul, which he probably had, his Hebrew name was Saul. And if you wanted to convert it to a Greek name, you'd add Os to the end. So his name should have been Saulos, but that doesn't make any sense in the, in the Greek uh, word. So his name changed to Paulos. So he, he went by Paulos or Saul. Kind of like, I imagine, maybe this is a good analogy, maybe it's not, but if I went to Mexico, I would be named Jose. Here, I'd be named Joe. And so anyways, anyways, that's how I think about it, at least. Um, But Acts chapter 7, verse 58 says, they dragged him, uh, uh, Stephen, out into the streets, began to stone him. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the witnesses uh, laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so if you zoom into this painting, you will see there is Saul, um, who will become Paul, this writer of the New Testament. But here he is collecting the coats of the people stoning Stephen so they didn't get blood on their cloaks. And so at this point, Saul hates Christians. He is a Pharisee. He is a Jew. And and what happens on this day of St. Stephen's stoning is that there's this great persecution all over Jerusalem. You can read about it at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8 in the book of Acts. And, And all these Christians flee. And we imagine that they must, a ton of them must have fled to, fled to Damascus, this city about 100 miles north of Jerusalem, which is equivalent to maybe like Pueblo to Denver. They fled to uh, Damascus to, to be free of the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. And so Saul, who will become Paul, hears of this. And so he goes to Damascus, as many of you know the story, on the D- Damascus Road. He walks there with a 100-mile journey. And I assume he walks, or was, he didn't have a car, so 100 miles 
would take days. And so he was going there to persecute the Christians who had fled from Jerusalem to Damascus. And so he is on this road. And as the story goes, you could read about it in Acts chapter 9. He falls off. Uh, he, he goes to the ground. He, uh, let's see, it says Acts chapter nine. I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. And we fell to the ground when I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he goes on to, the voice goes on to reveal himself as Jesus. And here's a painting by Caravaggio. Once more, a Baroque painting of, uh, uh, Paul on the ground, shuddering, uh, hearing the voice, seeing the light. He will go blind and Jesus will speak to him. His life will obviously be changed around. He will go from persecuting the Jews to being uh, a Christian. Uh, excuse me. He will go from being a Jew to, and persecuting the Christians to becoming a Christian himself. And, and so um, this testimony of St. Paul. So we see it here in the book of Acts um, in chapter 9. You can read all about it. Um, and then what Paul saw becomes Paul. Um, he, he will then retell this story in, in Jerusalem. He will speak up and speak to a crowd and tell the crowd his testimony. And so uh, I, I just think it's important that in the book of Acts, we not only have the story told once, but then we have it repeated uh, in this crowd to Jerusalem. And then we see it repeated again towards the end of the book of Acts. I believe Acts chapter 26, uh, uh, no, Acts chapter twenty. Uh, yeah, 26, like I said, he's talking to King Agrippa. And before King Agrippa, uh, P- Paul um, retells his story, his testimony of salvation before King Agrippa as, as a witness about what God had done into his life. And so just think about it um, for a second. The, the book of Acts is only so long. It's only 28 chapters. And yet the author, Luke, retells the story, uh, tells the story once and then two more times. So in the book of Acts, Paul's conversion story is told three times. That to me, like the same story repeated three times in the book of Acts, which to me is like Luke really wanted us to hear the story. Because if he could have just came to the point where Paul told his story to, say, Agrippa and said Paul told his testimony. But instead, it, it goes out and it lists what, what happens, the, the, the bright light, hearing Jesus, he was on the road to Damascus, etc. And so it just gives me a, a lot of encouragement to know that our story, my story, Paul's story, your story of how you came to the Lord, which, which in short just means maybe the, the, the circumstances surrounding when you maybe first believed in Jesus. And maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'm kind of, my story's happening right now. Like I'm yeah, beginning to come to the mill and maybe mill Sunday school here and I'm beginning to trust in the Lord. My, my, story, my story is going on right now. And, and so I, I, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could discuss that for a moment? And so we're going to do something maybe a little different than we usually do in the mill Sunday school. We're going to discuss um, for maybe a little bit longer. And instead of discussing a point, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if... Um, we could somehow quickly share our testimony. So um, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll break up into little groups. I imagine the best number would be like three or four people. So if your group is any much more than that, then maybe split in half. And, and all I really want you to do is to answer the question, what is your testimony? And, and, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of discussion time, more than usual. I'm gonna, actually going to put up a counter of, of five minutes um, after I give you a second to, to find 
uh, someone. And here's what I want you to do. I just want to, because you only have a very limited time. Like Paul retells his testimony in about five sentences. And so if you had five sentences to tell your story, which by the way is very important. And, and as I said, you know, Paul's testimony is very important. Um, I think our testimony of what Christ did in our life. And as we share that and listen to other people's testimonies, that's their story. And it might be very different than your story. You might have a radical experience of conversion. I personally did not. Uh, Paul in the Bible obviously did. He was on his way to kill Christians and then got converted to, to become a Christian. But whatever your story is, um, if you could somehow, and this may be very hard for you to do, but if you've ever been on a mission trip, the, the, the mission trip leader will probably tell you, hey, you probably have to share your testimony at some point um, to a church. Like all of a sudden people will be speaking a different language and then all of a sudden like, hey, you come up and tell your testimony through a translator. And you're like, uh, so you better be ready. Um, so if you ever go on a mission trip, know that that probably will happen. And you probably are told that you need a 10-minute version, a 5-minute version, and a 2-minute version of your... Have you ever, anybody ever heard that before as they're preparing their testimony to go on a mission trip? Um, it's very, very common because people want to hear your story. And so what I would tell you is to, to do right now is to tell your 2-minute, your 1-minute to 2-minute story of, of how you came to believe. Is everybody cool with that? I know it's, it's a little stretching because you're, you're kind of sharing today instead of just discussing a point in the Mill Sunday School, but uh, I thought this whole idea of a testimony is very important. So uh, get into a group. Again, the, the best number is probably three, at the most four. Um, and as soon as I see that everybody's mostly in a group, I'll put up the countdown for five minutes. Cool? All right, ready, get set, Go! Yeah, remember that old school countdown? That's the old one. All right. Um, I, I realize I'm probably like cutting someone like right in the middle of their story. I, I apologize um, for that. But how many of you were able to share your testimony very quickly? Oh, sweet. It's quite a few of you. Cool. Um, and I, so I realized that five minutes was probably like a really hard thing to do for like three of you or four of you to, to share your testimony in that amount of time. Um, but um, I thought I would share, I would try to share mine, and then we'll go back to the, the Paul, but my testimony to very quickly sum up, if I could do it, if I had to do it in 60 seconds, would be that I came from, I guess, a Catholic background, and many of you already, I guess, already know this testimony, because I've, I've kind of told it and shared it before here at the Mill Sunday School, but coming from a Catholic background in high school, uh, my freshman and sophomore year, I really kind of gave up on the faith and became very agnostic and really into philosophy and science and, and not believing in God, questioning if he, there was a God, a good and evil, things like that. I had all these questions, which I actually wrote down at one point um, in high school. I was like writing down questions I wanted the answer to, like, is there good and evil? Uh, where did the Bible come from? Is there God? Questions like that. I remember finding a group of Christians at lunch and asking them questions like this, um, and they actually knew the answers. It was amazing to me, like jaw-dropping, that they spoke with authority and had answers. Yes, we, we believe there's a God. Yes, we believe that there's a good and evil. Here's the good and the bad, and here's where the Bible came from. They had answers, which just floored me. And so um, I came to their youth group and um, got introduced there. That's a whole other story. And um, I came, I guess I just heard the youth pastor speaking about Jesus and salvation. And I was just like, of course I want that. Of course I believe that. And then my conversations with these Christian friends, it was um, just a summary of like, yes, of course, this is a continuation. And I went from like a very meaningless life, I would say, to having meaning in my life. I went to from being very shy to much more confident in who I was. 
was in Christ. And so that's kind of my testimony. Um, your testimony is probably very different, which is very different than maybe uh, Paul's uh, conversion. And so Paul has this dr- dramatic experience on the road to Damascus. After his conversion, he, he makes it to Damascus, spends some time there, it says in the book of Acts, then goes to Jerusalem where he's hated by the Christians because they obvi- probably think he was a double agent, you know. Here he is persecuting them, then he comes back, and now all of a sudden he is one. I don't think so. Um, so Christians were afraid of him. And of course the Jews hated him as well because he was cl- proclaiming Jesus. And, and the Jews didn't like that. That's why why they had Jesus killed. That's why they had Stephen killed. And so Paul leaves Jerusalem um, and he goes to Antioch for a little while, which is right here um, in northern uh, Israel, uh, what is Syria actually, Antioch, Syria. And I guess he spends, before that, he spent like three years kind of solidifying his faith, studying. Um, Paul was already a Pharisee, which meant he was highly educated. He was a rabbi. He had probably had uh, Genesis through Malachi, like the entire Old Testament. If you have a Bible in front of you, look at how many words that is, how many pages that is. He probably had that, for the most part, memorized as a Pharisee, as someone who studied the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Torah, the, the, the writings, the prophets. He probably, can you imagine? Just like, wait, like in the beginning... Uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and the, and the earth was formless and void. And then, like, to keep talking until, like, you're in Malachi. Like, what? Incredible. Um, so, anyways, very educated from a Pharisee, but becomes a Christian, learns more, um, is able to pastor a church that, there in that city in Antioch, um, which is north of Damascus, with a guy named Barnabas, who kind of takes Paul under his wing. And um, from there, Paul and Barnabas start off on a missionary journey, which if you have a Bible of your own, if it's a study Bible, and you flip through the book of Acts, you will probably see notes or maps. How many people have maps in their Bible? And one of them, probably for sure, is the map of Paul's missionary journeys. Either it's all in one map, missionary journey one, two, three, or they're individual maps. And this is a great way. So I'm going to go through in the Mill Sunday School right now with the time that we have left, uh, about 20 minutes, and go through Paul's first, second, and third missionary journey, and then his trip to Rome. And what hopefully will make sense is that, that, that Paul, that we'll see the book of Acts, and we'll look through the book of Acts as we're doing this, but then the letters will make sense that Paul went to Thessalonica, then wrote a letter to the Thessalonians, went to uh, Corinth, and then wrote a letter, then went there again, and then wrote another letter, and maybe that happened again. Um, he, he's on his way to Rome, so he writes a letter to Rome, and then ends up in Rome. And so all the stories and all the letters, the epistles, the epistle is just a Greek word for letter, should in some big picture way, hopefully at the end of this 20 minutes make sense to you and the the pieces uh, of the puzzle will fall into place in some way or another. So Paul's first missionary journey, he leaves with Paul from Antioch and as you can see uh, travels this distance. There's some sailing but there's a lot of walking in the interior of what is today Turkey. He goes uh, through the Antioch uh, in Turkey, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. These are all areas of uh, probably what's included in Galatia, or, uh, and Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, so that uh, maybe makes sense a little bit. But this journey was 1,400 miles, which were mainly on foot in the interior, walking around. And it was Paul and Barnabas um, 
walking around. It was a huge success. You read about the stories and the conversions and the message was received. He usually went to a synagogue first and preached the message of, of Jesus to, to those that were awaiting the Messiah and say, the Messiah came, his name was Jesus, and he would travel along to another city. This is a ruins of an ancient Roman road, how Paul and Barnabas got around for those. It seems like three years they were on this missionary journey of going to a big town and going to the synagogue, preaching the message, then going to the Gentiles, welcoming the Gentiles into the congregation of believers uh, of Christianity, and they end up going back to Antioch, the conclusion of the mission trip, uh, after about three years, 1,400 miles, and so they're back in Antioch, and they hear of some trouble, some heresy going around, and these, uh, what, what they called Judaizers, these Christians who were Jewish, they were Jewish, became Christians, but they were preaching that you have to, for instance, get circumcised to be saved if you're a male. You have to uh, follow the Jewish diet to be saved if you're a Christian, which, which throws Paul and Barnabas into debate with them. And you can read about that. Uh, I think it's Acts chapter 15. And then they go to Jerusalem to settle the issue. And so this is a, a picture of maybe uh, what Jerusalem looked like in the first century. There's the Council of Jerusalem. We talked a little bit about it last week where uh, there was a debate between how Jewish do you have to be to be really saved if you're a Christian? Do you have to follow the Old Testament law and code about eating and circumcision, uh, etc.? And the answer was an overwhelming no, you don't have to do that, which, by the way, was maybe one of the foundational moments in all of Christianity, some may say in the Western world, because it's at that moment that Christianity becomes a, comes from a sect of Judaism, where it was just like, oh, these Jewish people who have converted to believing in their Messiah, to, no, this is totally separate. Christianity is a whole new religion, not just a sect of Judaism, that will become a religion to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, it, and then, of course, it will become a world power, a world religion, etc. And so at the end of this trip to Jerusalem, uh, the missionary journey between Paul and Barnabas maybe ends like maybe some of your mission trips end, and everybody's kind of grumpy, and they fly back on a plane for like 30 hours, and everybody gets to DIA, and everybody just gets picked up by different people and goes their separate ways and everybody's kind of mad at each other because of something that happened. Has anybody ever been on a mission trip like that? They have this great experience. It's just kind of the, uh, you know, you're with some people for a very short, uh, you know, huge time, impactful, and you're like eating, sleeping, um, uh, Bible studying, witnessing, evangelizing with these people, never leaving them. And then you kind of get back home and you're like, dude, I hate you. (laughs) Anyways, um, I don't want to exaggerate it too much, but that's kind of what happened. You could read about it in Acts chapter 15 at the very end. It says this in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns that we preach the word of the Lord to. So that's kind of their, by the way, that's the the missionary journeys. You you plant some churches, then you go back by and see those churches. Um, And then it says this, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, John Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserved deserted them in Pamphylia and did not continue with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Uh, Barnabas took Mark uh, and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left. Um, and, and then, so they kind of go their separate ways, and which kind of stinks that that's how the mission trip kind of ended. But that's what happened. And, and it's kind of, and I heard lots of commentaries on this. Um, and both said, Paul was right. 
Barnabas was right. They were both right. They just had a disagreement and went their separate ways, and, and it was fine, and that's just what happened. Um, and so that begins, we'll now trace Paul's missionary journey with Silas, and this missionary journey will be much bigger, much more distance is covered. Some 3,000 miles is covered, mainly on foot or by sailing. Uh, Some of the cities they go to are Ephesus, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Caesarea, back to Jerusalem. And right at the beginning of this story, Acts chapter 16, remember um, Acts chapter 15 was deciding, yeah, Christians don't need to be circumcised to be saved. Acts chapter 16, Paul meets uh, this guy, Timothy, who's always kind of known as like the younger one, the, the one in training, Paul writes letters to him, and we have those letters, First and Second Timothy. Um, but right at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, remember, we just decided as Christians in the Council of Jerusalem that you didn't need to get circumcised. Um, listen to this. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey near Ephesus, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Uh, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. They spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along uh, for the journey, so he circumcised him because all the Jews who lived in that area, they knew his father was a Greek. Now, if I was Timothy, I would be like, dude, didn't we just decide that you don't need circumcision to be saved? Here's like, imagine a grown man or, or a young man getting circumcised by your mentor, Paul. Oh gosh, like what in the world? And it was all because when Paul traveled with Timothy and they went to a Jewish synagogue, they could accuse Paul of traveling with a dirty Gentile. And so he just circumcised Timothy so that he could say, no, he's circumcised. And so he's clean. He's okay to be here. But if I was Timothy, I'd be like, dude, seriously? Anyways, um, that's just me. So, One of the epic moments in this second missionary journey is Paul's trip to Athens. Um, And Paul was very maybe anointed in this open air, this street preaching kind of thing, which um, really worked in his day. Uh, A lot of us may be familiar with street preaching or handing out tracts. (coughs) Some of us maybe have done it. I've done it a little bit. I've never been very successful except for that one trip to Manti, Utah, where I witnessed to a guy who was not, it wasn't even a part of the street evangelism thing. It was just like me kind of giving up and then God, you know, allowing this awesome ministry to happen between me and the guy that rode the BMX bike impressing girls. But anyways, uh, I've never been a very good street evangelist. Never done it that much. Uh, I've done some. Um, But it seems like... um, our culture today, and I'm going to ask this question in a minute, like what's the best way to witness or convert people um, in our day? But it seemed like the best way to do it back then was the way in which Paul did it, which was street evangelism, going out and speaking, because it was in a world that didn't have TV or newspapers, or if you were like a learner and a nerd, like maybe some of us in here are because we're in Mill Sunday School and we love learning and knowledge of the Bible, then you couldn't just like go watch the History Channel. You couldn't just, you know, go read internet articles, or even you couldn't just go to a library and have everything at your disposal. Libraries were scarce. Books were scarce. They were all handwritten back then. This is before the printing press. So if you really wanted to know something, you'd go out and listen to people speaking. They'd be using rhetoric and and maybe standing in school 
squares or street corners. And so Paul already was familiar with rhetoric, and he just joined what was already going on at the time. His, his style was a style that wasn't too unusual at the time, of just speaking to groups and groups forming and listening to speakers at, at, in the town centers and squares. And so one of those stories, one of the most famous, is in Athens. Here's Paul speaking. Uh, I imagine the Parthenon would be um, somewhere in the distance, and here he is at Areopagus, which mean which means the hill of Ares, and Ares is a god, the god of war. In Roman mythology, he's Mars, and so if you've ever heard the term Mars Hill, that's Areopagus, the hill of Ares, uh, the hill of Mars. And so Paul is here, and maybe some of you know this story. You could read about it in Acts chapter 17. But Paul is speaking to this Greek population, uh, these philosophers and, and, and such, and he sees an altar to an unknown God, and he says, listen, this unknown God, let me tell you about him. And so Paul says that that God that you don't don't know, basically summarizing is Jesus, to, to whom uh, the world was created, and you need to trust in salvation for. And it's, and we always think about this as an awesome, at least I did before I really read the story and reread the story and studied it a little bit, of like, oh, how awesome it was that, you know, Paul did that, and it was so cool. Well, it was so cool, and it was so awesome, and very Holy Spirit, um, by the Holy Spirit, I imagine, but it wasn't very effective. What happens is uh, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And that's it. Like, and then it lists, like, and then some people came to, to, to believe, but it's not like this awesome, successful journey like it was in Ephesus, like it was or will be in Corinth, like it was in Philippi, where huge crowds come to know Jesus and a church is planted. As far as we know, uh, a church really wasn't planted in Athens, and it just says a few people came to believe and, and list those people by name. But it wasn't that successful. And so I just have a, a shorter discussion question for you um, to, to think about, and we'll just kind of discuss it as, as individuals here for a second. But what's the best strategy for converting college and 20-somethings in Colorado Springs? We're not talking about missions in Africa. We're not talking about, you know, how do we reach um, kindergarten classes or a, a, adults in businesses or whatever. We're just talking about college students, 20-somethings. That's probably our demographic in here. Like, what have you seen that's worked? Is street evangelism the best way? Uh, is something else the best way? I don't know. Um, discuss it amongst yourselves and, um, yeah, think about it and maybe compare it with what Paul did. And, uh, yeah, we'll just take like a minute to do this. So jump right in and, and chit-chat. Ready? Get set. Go. All right, sorry to, um, I'm probably cutting your conversation short again. I do apologize because I believe that they're important and discussion is important and that's what we do in the most Sunday school. I thought we'd continue on. I, w- I was going to do discussion with Mike's, but we're, we only have five minutes left. And so um, from Athens, where Paul speaks at the Areopagus to the hill, on the hill of Mars and to an unknown God and is somewhat unsuccessful, at least in converting mass amounts of people and planting a huge church there. Um, from Athens, Paul goes to Corinth, where he's incredibly successful. Um, he plants a church there. He spends a lot of time, not sure exactly how many months or years, um, but he spends quite a bit of time in Corinth. And then we think goes back there two more times. We, we, we think on, on, on different journeys, um, on, his, on his third missionary journey at least. Um, so he goes to Corinth. Um, <clears throat> from there, sails back to Jerusalem, which, which then starts his third missionary journey. And, and so basically, all the, as you see this pattern forming that he, he plants churches and he 
goes back and sees those churches. And while in between, he will send a letter to them. And we have some of those letters, and they make up the text of our scripture, their epistles. This Once again, this Greek word for letters. And so here's the map. Uh, looks very similar to the map of the second missionary journey because he's going back to these same churches and, and preaching to them. Some of the most memorable uh, moments from this third missionary journey is that he goes to Ephesus and he speaks against this god Artemis and people are in an uproar because they're buying and selling these statues of Artemis which is like this female fertility god with like a thousand breasts and so I can't imagine what the statue would look like um, but imagine it would be very interesting. Um, and so people are selling and buying those and Paul says no there's a higher god uh, basically and he causes this town to riot and he gets thrown into prison and he's arrested but he gets out of prison and then he goes back through from Ephesus which is in modern day Turkey he goes back through um, uh, what is today Greece sails back home but before home by meaning Jerusalem, sells back to Jerusalem. But as on his way to Jerusalem, something interesting happens and he feels like he just needs to say goodbye to the people in Ephesus. By the way, he spent like three years in Ephesus, or two years longer, two years he spent in Ephesus longer than anywhere else he spent. So he really got to know this congregation in Ephesus. And so on his way back, uh, to Jerusalem. He sails through Ephesus. He's too scared to go into the city, but some of the elders meet him. He says his goodbyes to them. Um, uh, verse 36 of chapter 20 says, when Paul is finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they wept and they embraced him and kissed him. And they grieved the most of his statement that he would ne- that they would never see his face again. Um, and then, so then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul goes on, he goes to Jerusalem, and just like he thought was going to happen, maybe the Holy Spirit uh, showed him in a, in a vision, in a dream, or just this warning that he would be arrested. Sure enough, he gets arrested in Rome, which ends that third missionary journey, and then starts his trip to Rome. And so, if in your Bible you have a map that says Paul's first, second, third, and fourth missionary journey, well, sometimes this trip to Rome is called his fourth missionary journey, but it's it's quite different because Paul is actually in captivity by Roman centurions. They are bringing him to Rome, so it's not like he's just traveling like a mission trip. No, he's being brought to Rome, but along the way, he, he tells people about Jesus. There's, uh, he goes to Caesarea, tells Festus and Agrippa. He is a shipwreck in this little island called Malta where he speaks of the Lord Jesus, and then finally, he gets to Rome, and he gets to Rome because he, was, he, he wanted to speak with the emperor about his case that he was being held as a Christian and condemned and being put in prison. So he appeals to Caesar. To Caesar he will go. And, and so he finally gets to Rome. And what's weird about the book of Acts is if you're reading along and really getting into the story, you flip the page and it's like, whoa, it's, it's over. The story is over. The book of Acts does end very abruptly. And so we'll end Sunday school very abruptly like the book of Acts. It just ends. And so it's like Paul gets to Rome and it says this sentence. And so I'll read this and then we'll pray. Um, But it says this, and it, it is a bit of encouragement that throughout Paul's life, his missionary journeys, he's in captivity. We think he's in some sort of house prison. Um, he continues to, to preach the word of God. He continues to, to tell people about Jesus. And we'll end with this, um, Acts 28, the last chapter, verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the book of Acts and this testimony of, of Paul, how he lived, 
how, how he was a witness to you, how he led people to the Lord and, and planted churches. God, we thank you for that testimony. Would you put maybe some of the same boldness inside of us to, to tell people, to, to be a witness, to share our testimony of, of what you have done in our life so that people can hear about it and have their own testimonies of what you are doing in their life. So God, we praise you this morning. We leave here excited uh, knowing that you will give us opportunities and and places to tell our testimony as well as stories to add to our testimony of the things you will do in our life. We praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, go in peace. Next week, Glenn Packiam will be here talking about the full context of the Bible. Peace.